Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 50. Today is Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. The golden episode of the Galloway Podcast. It's been quite a ride, and here we are with episode 50. We've got Cecil Hurt on the podcast for you today, digging through Alabama basketball, Alabama football, going through history, but also talking about the upcoming seasons because both men's basketball and football are poised to have a great 2020-2021 season. So we'll talk about that with Cecil shortly. As always, the Galloway Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out on those three platforms. Share it on your social media and share it with your friends. Uh, The Galloway Podcast, we go through what's new and we have our interview today talking to Cecil Hurt and Uh, At the end, we go around Alabama athletics. So that is all on episode 50 of the Galloway podcast. Thanks for listening. And let's jump right into it now here with what's new. What's new in the world of sports since the last episode? Well, a lot. There's been a ton. And that's always the case, but especially new school year, college football has gotten underway. Uh, but but what's pertinent to, to the Galloway podcast and what you want to know? Well, we're 17 days away from Alabama football kickoff, and we cover that extensively with Cecil here in a minute. Um, also, what's new, the all-inclusive NCAA men's basketball tournament. That was proposed this morning by the ACC and coaches of the ACC that every Division One men's basketball team would make the 2021 tournament. Obviously, it would impact the regular season and conference play, non-conference conference play? Would there be a conference tournament? What, what's the significance of the regular season if everybody makes the tournament? Personally, I was a little opposed when I first heard it, but the more you think about it, this season's going to look different. And everything in 2020 has looked different, so why not make a little adjustment? This is a pretty big adjustment, but we'll talk with Cecil momentarily about the details of that and what an all-inclusive NCAA men's basketball tournament could look like. Also, what's new in the world of sports, Justin Thomas was named the 2020 PGA Player of the Year. He's just had an outstanding year, and normally, you know, after the Tour Championship, golf would be, the the season would be wrapped up, and obviously things are a little bit different. We've still got the Masters and some other tournaments coming up, which is exciting. It's going to be a good fall mixed with college football. Pro football starts this weekend, and you have golf on the weekend, so that's always exciting. And of course, in the world of golf, Dustin Johnson has been on a tear. He won the tour championship on Labor Day just a couple days ago, and that was really fun to watch. I mean, the past couple weeks, Dustin Johnson has just been head and shoulders, you know, above everybody else. You got people knocking and nipping at his heels, but DJ has just been on a roll. Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma won't release COVID numbers as to not provide a quote-unquote competitive advantage. And you look around the world of college football, you've seen an uprise in cases this summer in different programs, a lot around the SEC. Um, Nick Saban talked about how they're testing three times a week, but not, you know, saying specifically who's positive, who's negative, whatever. And so every program in college football is kind of handling this coronavirus and and testing their players and cases um, at their own discretion. And I I appreciate that and I respect that because it is, you know, it is player privacy. Um, Elsewhere in the world of sports and what's new, NFL rosters were cut down this past weekend. A total of 57 Alabama guys made an active NFL roster. Of course, those NFL rosters are 53-man rosters. Crazy to think that the number of Former Crimson Tide players could make up over an entire roster of an NFL team. That is pretty cool when you think about that. 
That's what's new in the world of sports here on the Galloway Podcast. So we're going to kick it over to Cecil Hurt now. The interview, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Cecil Hurt. And he's covered uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News for years and years. It's a great interview. And um, reminder, the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. I'm joined by Cecil Hurt now on the Galloway Podcast. Cecil has covered the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News for years and years. Cecil, I'm glad to finally connect with you and uh, and have time to talk with you on the podcast. How are you? Great. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. The semester's chugging along and, um, you know, amidst a ton of uncertainty, um, things are things are moving. We're only 17 days away from Alabama football and over two months away from Alabama basketball, so I figured we'd talk a little bit of that today. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to ask you, because uh, I've read the columns, seen the tweets, uh, and when you look at this year, it's been a crazy year. How would you personally put 2020 into a nutshell? Well, it's been a, you know, it's been a test for everybody. And, and you know, it, it hasn't occurred um, independent of anything else. There are a lot of things going on. There's certainly a lot of things going on in the world of journalism that it, it has affected. It's affected the economy. It's affected education. Um, so, and, and all those things had their own issues before the coronavirus. So, um, you know, I think it's accelerated a lot of issues on the NCAA front, um, whether that's, whether that's player compensation through name, image, and likeness, or in other ways, um, it will certainly accelerate the debate about amateurism as a whole. Um, I, I think that it's, it's contributed to uh, the social awareness movement because it, it's, it should uh, hopefully have helped people understand that um, everything in this country is interconnected in one way or another and that at some level uh, we have to look out for each other and that involves a certain level of fairness um, so, so you know different people are entitled to different opinions I respect that I, I think it's been um it was going to be a, a contentious political year anyway. Um, I think it's contributed to that. And again, I'm not advocating one position or another for, for people other than, um, you know, trying to be thoughtful and respectful. That's, that's the main thing I advocate. Right. Yeah, it's been an interesting year for sure. Um, from all different walks of lives and perspectives, in my perspective personally in college, having that impacted the end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, you realize that may be unfortunate, but there are much bigger issues and, and things to concern yourself with. But as I always say on the podcast, we love to talk sports, and that's what I have you on here for. So we'll go ahead and go ahead and jump into that here. Uh, would normally start talking about Alabama football, given that we're just a little over two weeks away. But some big news coming out of the ACC today in college basketball, talking about an all-inclusive, the possibility of an all-inclusive NCAA men's basketball tournament proposed by the ACC. Like I said, that every Division One team would make the 2021 tournament, and not having a tournament this past March, um, seeing a lot of teams miss out on an opportunity. What do you make of a potential all-inclusive tournament? Could that work, and is it a good idea? It can work. Now, there would be logistics involved in the number of games. Playing 300, and if there are 346 teams eligible, because there are, I think, five teams 
um, who are banned from the postseason because of their APR scores. Um, Oklahoma State's on probation. Um, there are a couple of teams that, that may not qualify otherwise or have elected not to have the sport in the fall. Um, so a, a season not to, not to resume competition until you know, next year. So I think it, it would be 346 teams involved. And so it'd take 345 games, obviously, to determine a championship. That's a lot of games to administer. Uh, you could, you, I mean, hypothetically, you could televise all 345 of them somewhere. But I, I think if you did it that way in the early rounds, your logistical problem. First, I think you'd have to regionalize some of that early round play. You'd have to probably give a buy, at least one round buy. You could give <laughs> you give 166 buys, and then you <laughs> that's, have that's casual teams playing um, for for 90 spots. That would give you 256. When you get to 256, then you're just talking about an extra weekend. You know, you're talking about playing 128 games on Wednesday and Thursday a lot of games, but it happens around the nation, you know, during January and February. More games than that on a Saturday. So you're talking about 128 on on the first round, and you're talking about 64 games in the next round, and that gets you down to your field of 64, your classic field. It takes one extra week um, from that standpoint after you've, you've had a playing round or a, a regional round. Um, for the teams that didn't get a buy. So, so you'd be down to 64. Uh, so I think there's some entertainment to it. Uh, I think there's some logistics to it. And now what I will say, it's an ACC coaches proposal. And hopefully we won't have a situation which we've had in football that every league has its own um, way of doing things. For better or worse, the tournament is administered by the NCAA. So there is somebody who's got the authority to say, this is the way we're, this is our tournament, this is the way we're doing it, and it won't be as contentious as football has been. Right, and there's so many different ways to go about this. You know, it seems like a good idea, and like you said, it's much more reasonable than it sounds in terms of logistics and pulling it off. Uh, but it could be where you do conference play in the first half of the season, and then that non-conference play it could come in the second half of the season and could be a part of um, this tournament in terms of adding weeks and playing teams outside of your conference, maybe you know within a region, as you mentioned. Um, but it's certainly one of the more off-the-wall things we've heard of in terms yeah. of, of college athletics. And you see, obviously, with football – there's tons of uncertainty and there's tons of you know situations that have had to been changed and uh, tweaked and twisted, this, that, and the other. Um, and so while it sounds like a crazy idea, and I'm somewhat opposed to it just because it's non-traditional, you look at this year and the way things have gone, and it almost seems as if you have to do something totally off the wall in college basketball. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> it's, it's, not as, it's not as non-traditional as not having a tournament. Right. Where we were in March. So right. Well, when anything, anything is a step forward from that. I would, I would say. I, I don't know that it's the best way to do it. I do question whether it diminishes the value of whatever regular season you tend to have. 
uh, certainly diminishes the value of your conference tournament. Why are you playing the conference tournament? Absolutely. Yeah, we probably wouldn't even see a conference tournament in that case. Probably not in that scenario. So, again, these are the kind of things that, that can be discussed. But the, the good thing is, you know, the ACC can't just say, well, this is how we're doing it. Um, you know, the NCAA ultimately has to decide all that. Right. And it's, it's, a, it's a fun idea to talk about. It is. It is. And just like I said, just over two months away and hopefully, you know, from the original start day, we'll see what happens. Um, but when we look at what's happening in Tuscaloosa and year two under Nate Oates, um, one thing that kind of stands out to me is you, you see the progress Nate Oates had in his four years at Buffalo from year one. He went 20 and 15 to year two going 17 and 15 to then year three. 27 and 9 and you can't turn around a program in in one year you know overnight we know that as well as anybody here in Tuscaloosa uh but what is it going to have to take for this Alabama basketball team to get where they want to go in terms of um seeing success in Nate Oates eyes what's going to have to happen this year for this Alabama team well they need to defend better um you know they need to to do a lot of things there was a there was an early season period of buy-in, I think that the players are bought in, I think that they like the system that Nate Oates runs I think that, that he's built a roster that's better suited uh, this isn't a knock on any guys who have transferred out and probably get more playing time where they transferred um, I think that's true for, for Galen for Galen Smith I think it's true for Jalen Davis um, and wish them the best but they weren't you know, they couldn't shoot a three, they weren't suited that sort of play. I think he's happier with the roster this year. Now it's a tougher league, um, obviously, but um, a little up in the air this year in the SEC. But I, I think that um, they can have high expectations just from from kind of the blend of, of the way the talent is, which which some upperclassmen, Herb and John. Uh, Alex Reese and some some newcomers obviously uh, they've got a lot of newcomers to, to blend in of course not leaving out Jaden Shackelford although he's just a sophomore he'll be an important piece uh, for this year's team so you know with Bruner with Rojas with Chiku they have some size um, so I think if if all that comes together I think they can be they can be good and, and I look forward to to them getting started hopefully. I would guess around Thanksgiving, and um, hopefully, yeah, I know that they'll schedule as well as the circumstances allow. And we'll see how they play. I think they'll be entertaining. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it for sure. And when you you mention all those newcomers and all those guys, and they bring in a plethora of experiences. Uh, whether it's JUCO transfer, grad transfer, uh, freshman, uh, but only really a handful of guys that wore the uniform for last year, uh, last year for Alabama. So when you look at all these new guys, which one will have the biggest impact in terms of um, maybe they were on the roster last year and injured or suspended, or they're totally new to the program? Who's going to have the biggest footprint? He's been in the system for a year. Um, you know, they have two other guys who, who didn't play last year, Rojas and Gary, but they really didn't practice very much. They were rehab injuries. Um, so I think Javon Quinterly would be the first newcomer. Um, Jordan Berner would probably be the second newcomer. 
and Josh Primo would probably be the third um, in terms of impact. And that doesn't mean that, that um, Keon Ellis is going to have an impact or Chiku's not going to have an impact. I think they will. Um, but it's just a situation of, of having a lot of talent in that newcomer group. But you've got to have um, solid point guard play. So I would think Quinterly would, Quinterly would be the most important. So your money's on Quinterly, and uh, when we look at the you know the, the struggle of only when you have a roster this talented, there's only five guys on the court at a time. And uh, last year was a struggle to get five guys on the court with injuries and suspensions and this that and the other. At the yeah at the end, um, you know towards the, that tail end of, of conference play. But uh, part of that conference play is that that February slump. I remember you tweeted something back towards the end of February, beginning of March. Alabama's stat. Uh, and it extends to multiple coaches. But the, the February struggle, what has to be done to overcome what has always been a brutal month for the Crimson Tide? Uh, first of all, defend the home court. Um, too many of those losses have been in Tuscaloosa, and you can't afford to do that in conference play. You can't have, um, and this is no knock on any particular team, but you can't have Vanderbilt come in like they did last year and beat you. You can't have Missouri come in here and beat you on your home floor, Texas A&M, um, a couple of years ago, although that game was earlier. But, but you've got to defend in those games and, and win those, find a way to win those games. And then you take your chances with Kentucky, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee. You know, that's, that's, but, but you've got to defend the home court against, against Missouri, Vanderbilt, you know, the Mississippi schools, et cetera. So um, I think that's that's going to be a big part of it. Uh, you know, what, how that factors this year, whether there's going to even be attendance, you know, whether there will even be crowds, I don't know. But nonetheless, if you're, you're, you've got to do, do that, I think. Um, style of play is just a matter of the chemistry and, and guys um, accepting their roles, realizing that, it, that although it is the, probably the fastest paced team the fastest tempo in high division one that you still have to defend and and be solid on defense and you know obviously herb gives you a good start with that because you can put him on the other team's best guy regardless of what position he plays unless he's you know just a seven foot post guy and um so that's that's going to be important for him, and and again, good point guard play. Again, I think I think it's important for Quinterly to play well. I think it's important for Primo to, to be able to fill in in that position when necessary. And um, you know, they they don't have that traditional backup, you know, Corbin Collins um, type guy that, that could back up your point guard. And I think Kyrie got worn down last year. Um, pretty beetle wasn't healthy either, um, and that's, I think Kyra was having to do too much at the end of the year. Yeah, the the drop off at the point guard position from that one to two, I mean, has been when you've got elite guys like uh, Kyra Lewis, Colin Sexton, there's just a significant <laughs> drop off. It's been it's been tough for Alabama, and, and that's true everywhere. You know, that's that's true everywhere. But you you, you need to have some dependable. Uh, you don't need your point guard would be playing the minutes that Kyra played, like 37, 38 minutes a game, like Kyra did. Right, right. So we move now from the hardwood to the turf and Alabama football, just 17 days away, as I mentioned. 
at kickoff at Missouri, September 26th. What is Alabama's biggest concern, Cecil, as a program moving towards that start date? Um, Other than the unknowns of the coronavirus, because Nick Saban will prepare for every eventuality, but you can't prepare necessarily. I mean, you, you have to have a plan. I'm sure he has a plan, but uh, we're we're taping this on the 9th. So we're 17 days out. So the, the anybody, if they test tomorrow, anybody that's got a positive test is out for the Missouri game. Um, 17 day quarantine situation. Um, and, they'll, and they'll have probably what, six more tests between now and then. So who knows? You know, who knows? If students are back on campus. They, they went home for Labor Day. Who knows who's going to have a have an encounter and come up with a positive? Even though they they check those players pretty carefully, they they stress um, social distancing and masking and all the things that, that they think can help prevent. Um, it, nobody's got a very, very few teams. Some teams have a very low rate. Uh, but not many teams in the SEC have a particularly low rate. Missouri, uh, I think, had four guys out of practice yesterday who couldn't have played if the game had been yesterday. Um, so Alabama, in testing over the next two weeks, they could have three or four guys out. So that's the that's the unknown. That's the variable. And they could be important guys. Now, uh, would Alabama have enough depth to overcome? That's what they're working on. They've got a better chance than most teams because of the amount of talent on the roster, but, um, you know, and you, you don't know which way the pendulum's going to swing. It may swing the other way. And Missouri have a half dozen guys out, and then they're going to be in a lot of trouble if Alabama's in full strength. Um, so don't know which way that's going to go. Um, in, in terms of real, you know, what you would call actual football issues, I mean, I think there are more positives than negatives, don't get me wrong, but since you asked what they're Working on their inexperienced in the secondary. Um, they're, they're better in the front seven. I think they're bringing Dylan Moses along um, at his own pace in returning from the knee injury. Um, so uh, there are some defensive questions out there. I, there's not, if everybody's healthy, uh, there's not much question what they can do offensively. Absolutely. And, you know, it starts with that offensive line, and you look at experience, I mean, just all over. Um, tight end, wide receiver, and question about the quarterbacks here. You know, it was my freshman year at Alabama when Tua was on the bench behind Jalen, and you think about that situation. You just as a as a as a fan, as a spectator, as someone who enjoys college football, however you want to view yourself, you hate to see that type of talent on the bench. And obviously, we know we know that Nick Saban, you know, what he did in the national championship and Tua coming in and all that. But at what point does talent trump experience in terms of Bryce Young versus Mac Jones? Uh, well, you know, first of all, we hadn't seen enough. I mean, I've seen the high school highlights of Bryce Young. And since those high school highlights, Bryce Young hadn't technically even scrimmaged yet. He didn't have a spring. He wasn't available for the first scrimmage. Um, they, they went to the stadium last Saturday, and he did participate. Uh, and they said, I'm not calling that a scrimmage. So he's about to have his first official, actual 
Nick Saban's stamp of approval scrimmage this Saturday. So where he is developmentally and, and where he is um, as far as emotionally having control of a team, there's no way to measure that. He had no, you know, most of the quarterbacks who plays for Minnesota, they come in in the spring. They, you know, they, they sign early. They come in in December, and they go through a sprint. And you can learn a lot about them. They have 15 practices. Three of those are probably scrimmages, and you can learn a lot. Bryce didn't have any of that. So um, then you get into the question of where exactly, you know, what exactly is the talent disparity, if any, which is a matter for Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian to judge. You know, the, the, the coach speak answer is Nick Saban will make that change when he thinks it gives him a better chance to win because he's always going to try and win. Um, but, you know, Max Max done some good things. You know, it's not like Mac has no talent. It's not like there's a flat line there. And that's all that, that Bryce or Paul Tyson has to give up to, to just take the job away. You know, I think Max... Um, got a chance to have a really good year and so um, and, and to, to execute the offense the way that uh, Nick and Sark want to see it executed so a million things can happen again you don't know about off the field um, health situations they may go to Missouri and they'll be a you know, fairly substantial favorite and they may be up 35 to nothing at halftime and you want to give a guy experience. You may play the second half, and you may see some stuff, and you may not see some stuff. But the one unfair thing, I don't mean you're being unfair, but I just think in general, whatever Bryce Young is, he's not two. He's right. not, you know, the number five pick in the draft right now. And two would have been higher than that had it not been for the hip injury. He's not a guaranteed lottery tank the season for this guy guy yet this time next year we may say he is that kind of guy but we, we certainly don't know that right now and so I'm a little hesitant to say this this and this happened with Tua well you know for better or worse this guy's not Tua you know just to be fair to him absolutely yeah it's uh and it's it's was Tua at that point his freshman year? Maybe, maybe not. You know, that's that's up for up for debate, but it really didn't matter because he ended up going five overall to the Dolphins. Um, and, you know, it's just like we've been talking about. It's a weird year, and Mac Jones is – and I always go back to this stat. He had – I think it was the second highest QBR the second half of the season behind Joe Burrow ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And it's not it's not just some oh we signed him three years ago as needed a quarterback like he's developed and he's become you know the guy and it's not and I, I didn't mean to say you know talent versus experience et cetera et cetera Mac Jones doesn't have any talent because he does and he's been surrounded by talent and the as you mentioned earlier the offensive weapons around him um, um, are very very elite have been and, and will be this year. Cecil, I want to ask you another question here. Um, over the last 13 seasons, we've seen more success than at, at Alabama than most people see in a lifetime in a college football program. You followed that closer than anyone. Um, so how would you describe the evolution of both Nick Saban the man and Nick Saban the coach? Well, I, I think that you know, it's hard to, to say. But I, I knew him a little bit when he was the coach at LSU, but it's hard for me to say how he's evolved. As a man, I think that he's been happy here. I think it's 
it's been a good situation for his family. Uh, I think that he probably places uh, uh, priority on that now. That, that maybe when, as a younger coach, um, he's worked 100 percent of the time. I'm not saying he still doesn't work, but I think his family's important to him. Um, and they've been they've been happy in Tuscaloosa. I think um, as a coach, he's, he's certainly been adaptable and maybe wasn't as adaptable at Michigan State or LSU, but you know when he studies the game, he knows what you have to do to score, what you have to do to keep teams from scoring, and the best way to play within the rules and what the rules will allow, which is why they went from, from you know, a ground-heavy, pounded team that won a national championship playing that way against LSU and Notre Dame. Uh, to a team that can really spread it out and score a lot more points. So um, he's always been willing to adapt as a coach. Absolutely. And I'll have a couple quick hitters for you before we close out. Uh, I'd like to end the podcast, the interview portion of the podcast, on a little bit lighter uh, note here. So in your plethora of experience, and you know, I've, you've gave me recommendations last uh, winter we went down to LSU talking about you know where to go eat and things like that but you've gone all over the country covering Alabama um, and so what's your most memorable event or trip um, that you've you've covered for any type of Alabama sport well uh, that's it's tough because you have to separate the event from the sport some of the sugar I, mean, I love New Orleans and so some of the sugar bowl games would have been memorable and great Obviously, getting to go to to um, Hawaii as uh, frequently between football and basketball um, have been great. Uh, so, so those were, you know, those are memorable. And then sometimes you just have a, a memorable game. Um, you know, on our podcast, we always joke about Alabama playing in Charlotte in December of '05, and and what a great game, just a game that that was. Um, you know, some some trips are harder than others, but there's something to be you know if you're if you're open minded, there's something to be gained from from every trip. Uh, you know whether it's whether it's just ninety miles down the road to Starkville, or whether you're in you know I've seen basketball in in San Francisco and Boston and New York. Uh, saw Carmelo Anthony's first college game in New York, Madison Square Garden, doubleheader. Syracuse, Alabama played Pitt, and Syracuse plays the next game, and um, so got to see that, and so, you know, there, there are a lot of memories like that, that, that um, have been a great part of the job, again, it's been, it's been from Alaska to the Bahamas, and, you know, football has been from, from Santa Clara to, to, to Miami, you know, and, and uh, that's been a great opportunity, a great, um, a great thrill to, to rank one. You know, it's it's tough to beat. <laughs> you, you, you play that that probation year ender in a non memorable game against Hawaii, and then you take your two weeks vacation after that because you're there. You know? Right. And and so that's a pretty good trip um, that you didn't have to pay the year the airfare for it's a better trip if the head coach doesn't leave like Dennis Franchoni and you're having to cover it from Hilo so yes. um, yeah that's just, but that's just the way things 
work out sometimes. Um, so, so um, you know, all of those, all of those spots, all those trips have been memorable. Um, so it, it's hard to it's hard to pick one. I still enjoy you know not just the the game, but just going to Knoxville in late October and just the drive up there and. Um, that, that can be a great experience for, for Alabama, Tennessee. Right. So it's hard to pick one, but there have been, there've been far more than I deserve. It's, you know, it's interesting too, even just being a student in the past three years for me, and not that I've covered every game and been everywhere. I've been places as a student, followed football teams, basketball teams, taken, you know, midweek trips to LSU, you know, going driving six hours to Baton Rouge on a Tuesday because why not? And if you, if you look at Alabama, the opportunity is there for you as a student, um, student reporter. Uh, it's just been really fun um, covering, you know, one of the best athletic programs in the country and something you've gotten to do for years as well. Uh, next quick hitter is, uh, you know, Saban doesn't answer hypothetical questions, but he's not on the podcast, um, so I can ask him. Uh, but you think about what ifs and, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if Quanjo didn't jump off sides in the 2013 Iron Bowl and we made the field goal, didn't have the kick six, whatever. What's your biggest what if moment of all time as it regards to Alabama football? Mm, that's, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, Alabama, hypothetically, hypothetically, if you change – Four or five things, and, you know, some of them big, some of them small. They, they've been in a reasonable position or had the talent uh, to, at this point, have won 11 national championships in a row. So, um, you know, in terms of, of one game, yeah, they, they, they probably wouldn't have won all those. They didn't win all and that's what that's what counts like one about half of them but uh, the other half you could you could change very little um, and and get those um, results as well uh, you know you look at the loss to Clemson you look at and last and two years ago Clemson might have might have drugged them anyway you know, Clemson had a very good team last year if two was 100% healthy if you want to say what if I think if he's 100% healthy, he wasn't 100% healthy against LSU. And I think if he's 100% healthy, they win the national championship. Um, you know, obviously, Alabama LSU was the national championship game. So it's, it's um, you know, what if in terms of, um, you know, one particular moment? I don't know. Depends. I, I always wondered uh, what if Marvin Brown didn't recover a fumble on a punt against Florida in 1999, which let Alabama win in overtime, which saved Mike Dubose's job at the time, which ended up having ramifications with the NCAA uh, that affected Alabama football for eight years because Marvin got on that fumble. Um, you know, had Mike Dubose been fired, it might have been different. So, you know, that's the kind of thing people don't think about. But, you know, if Tua had been healthy, you know, 100% healthy in 2019, I'll, I'll think that they would have scored 70 points against 
touch strong. But you know, you can always say, what if, what if in 2010 the ball that Mark Ingram fumbled going into the end zone had just bounced out of bounds? Right. Yeah, we can sit here all day and say, what if what Rich if Rodriguez got the job in 07? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can do all that, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so, and, and that goes back, you know, to, to Coach Bryant. Um, so, so, and the aunt, probably. There's probably, they're probably people, you know, when, when Zen Scott was the coach, who was saying, you know, well, if we just, uh, if we just hadn't dropped that pass against Tennessee, we'd, we'd won the Southern International Athletic Conference title. So, so, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so, so yeah. it's totally the same. So, right. Um, so there's been a lot. That's what makes football fascinating. That's that's what makes it um, worth going to see. And every and every school has those. Every school can say, you know, what if this guy had been healthy, or what if we signed this guy, or what if yeah. Alabama, and I know we're running long, but I'm gonna say. One more. Alabama won a national championship primarily because an Arkansas player threw a backward lateral over his head on a fourth and 25 against Ole Miss, and Arkansas converted and went on and scored, and Ole Miss didn't go to the SEC championship game. Alabama did, and went on and won the national championship. Remember it like it was yesterday. So, what if that hadn't happened? And what are the odds that it would ever happen? But it happened. But what if it hadn't happened? I like this. We should we should do this more often. I mean, go down a, a rabbit hole and a rabbit hole and a rabbit hole. Yeah, you know. So what if? I mean, that's that's just one of those things. And and now just, now we know why Nick Saban doesn't answer hypothetical questions. Right, because he doesn't want to go down the rabbit hole. Exactly. Well, Cecil, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Glad I could have you on for the 50th episode. Uh, it was an honor to talk to you and pick your brain, Tide Hoops, Tide Football, expecting big things out of both this year and appreciate your insight. Glad to do it. Thanks. Great interview there with Cecil. Appreciate him taking the time uh, amidst the upcoming busy fall, kind of catching him in the, in the preseason moments. Uh, before college football kicks off and um, obviously as we mentioned just two months away from college basketball season or the proposed college basketball season but always fun to pick his brain and um, you know that rabbit hole of of what ifs and you think about you could apply that to any college athletics program you could apply it to any situation in life Uh, but it really is it really is a rabbit hole and it was fun to kind of go down memory lane and um, explore different things in Alabama athletics, Alabama football history in, in terms of what if this happened? What if that happened? If you have a what if you want to let me know, tweet me at WM underscore Galloway and, and let me know. I mean, because there's plenty to discuss and debate. And quite honestly, until we have Alabama football kickoff in a couple of weeks, there's not that much to talk about on Twitter. And so tweet me, let me know, and, uh, and, and we can have a conversation. Around Alabama athletics, of course, we've really covered just about all you really need to know with Cecil. Um, And as I mentioned in What's New, Nick Saban said, quote, we have a minimal amount of players that have tested positive. He said that in um, his press conference just yesterday, and he said that Alabama is testing its players three times a week. Now, I've heard that Alabama wants to move to third-party testing and do saliva tests. 
I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but it would make sense that for efficiency purposes, you don't want these guys getting swabbed up the nose, you know, these big college athletes three times a week. If they can have a more efficient way to test, I think they would do that. Um, if it'll happen, I don't know. Is it happening? I'm not sure. Just something, some food for thought. We might be seeing saliva tests come, and it might be might come to local health um, places. It might come, you know, just to college athletes first. We'll see. Uh, but obviously, we are all hoping for a vaccine for coronavirus as soon as possible. That's really a brief update of around Alabama athletics because, like I said, we covered just about everything we could with Cecil Hurt. The Galloway Podcast, episode 50, where we talked about what's new. We had an interview with Cecil Hurt talking Tide hoops and Tide football. And, of course, around Alabama athletics, as always, to close it up, want to remind everybody that the Galloway Podcast has merchandise for sale. Limited number of Comfort Colors shirts left. We have tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, game day stickers, and want you to rock the Galloway podcast. Seen plenty of people on their social media wearing hats and shirts and really appreciate that support. It really does mean a lot. Um, thank you for tuning in. Once again, the Galloway podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. And a reminder that you can tune in to WVOA 23 on weekends at 10 p.m. for my sportscast as the weekend sports anchor. I've got you covered on TV weekends, Saturday and Sunday night, 10 p.m. I've got your full sports cast. We're going to keep the content coming here on the Galloway Podcast, the golden episode, the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway. <laughs>